0: You have two messages. First message. Hey, Luke, it's Nate. Dude, I was just thinking about July 4th, 1990. You what me and my friends would do? Because all the families on the street, there's like five of us that would shoot fireworks. The guys, we would just kind of like hoard away little individual fireworks, like one at a time, so that the hopefully the parents didn't see. And then like the moment everybody went inside, we would start lighting them and throwing them at each other. It's amazing everybody's still here today with all the parts that we have, but it was a blast. All right, man. Can't wait to hear it. Talk to you later, bud. Bye. Message here Second message. Hey, Luke. Uh, this is Caleb. I was just calling to say about 30 years ago, uh, I would have been out at Springtown shooting off fireworks. I wouldn't have because I was only six and my mom was afraid I'd blow my hand off, which is probably accurate considering my older cousin Eddie and his friends all like to throw black cats at frogs. No doubt would have lost a finger or two. Anyway, Springtown. Talk to you later. Bye. Message erased. No remaining messages. Familiar Media Group. This is Thirty Pop, a weekly peek back to music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from thirty years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronn. This is season two, episode twenty-seven. Yipikai, Merry Christmas. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, July 7th, 1990. Hello friends and welcome to what will likely be a pretty short episode of 30 Pop. Not because I don't enjoy putting this show together, simply because there wasn't a ton to cover this week in 1990. Or rather, there wasn't a ton that happened this week in 1990 that necessarily needs to be covered in this episode. And since we've got Trivia Night this week, which means a fair amount more work than normal for me, I figured I'd let a few things ride till next week. I trust that you understand. Speaking of Trivia Night, a reminder and an update. As I sort of suspected may happen, House of Blues Houston wound up closing their doors again for at least the next month because, as you've likely heard, COVID-19 has spiked pretty significantly here in Houston over the last couple weeks with an overwhelming number of new cases popping up. So, with much of the city shut down again for all intents and purposes, for the time being, Trivia Night will happen entirely online at 30poptrivia.com. Our next Trivia Night is happening tomorrow night, July 8th at 6.30pm Central Time. There's a Zoom call linked in the show notes, and anyone who wants to join in there can do so. To play the game, like I said, you'll just go to 30poptrivia.com on your computer or mobile device. It'll be a slightly shorter game than was Back to the Future trivia because, well, who wants to spend two hours on a Zoom call? And since most folks will likely be playing as individuals instead of teams, we'll be able to pick up the pace a bit, too. It'll be a blast, friends, and you're literally all invited. The theme this time around, in case you forgot, is Saturday Night Live, with a heavy emphasis on the first 15 to 18 years of the show. I really hope you'll sign up. All right. Now let's dive in. 30 years ago this week, the number one album in the country was, yes, again, predictably, MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt em. And I am not complaining. This record deserved every bit of the acclaim it received, and it kind of drives me a little crazy that New Kids on the Block interrupted its reign last week. But after 30 years, I suppose I should move on. The New Kids did once again have the number one song in the country this week with the infectious, albeit very poorly worded, Step by Step, which we covered in depth on last week's episode. If you missed it, definitely go back and check it out. It was easily, to date, one of my all-time favorite episodes of 30 Pop. The number one song on the hot country chart this week in 1990 was, for the final time, George Strait's Love Without End, Amen. And the top rap song was once again The Power by Snap, which I still freaking love so much. I tried this week to land an interview with Turbo B, the rapper from that song, but to no avail. Side note, I also reached out to another Turbo this week. Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers, who played the character Turbo in the 1984 classic Breakin', a lifelong hero of mine. And it's not confirmed yet, but that interview may in fact happen before too long. If you know me at all, and especially if you knew me in the first 20 or so years of my life, you'll understand how huge a deal that'll be for me. But, I digress. The number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart this week, replacing Troop's overly falsettoed All I Do Is Think Of You, was Lisa Stanfield's fairly forgettable tune, You Can't Deny It. In TV news this week in 1990, we saw the end of a series that I remember loving. Nickelodeon's Sesame Street-esque human-slash-puppet hybrid show, Pinwheel. If I'm honest, I don't remember anything about this show except that I liked it as a kid. It was produced from 1979 to 1984, but continued to air until July 6, 1990, at which point it began slipping into the deepest, darkest recesses of my memory, where it remained until I was reminded this week of its existence as I prepped for this episode. I'm sure it was great, though. Actually, I'm sure it wasn't, but I probably didn't realize it at the time. Now, back to the recesses it returns. So long, Pinwheel. On to movie news. We had two notable releases in theaters 30 years ago this week, and they couldn't have been more different from one another. The first... 25 years ago, they brought us a startling vision of the future. And now... Help! Jane, stop this crazy thing! Jetsons in their first feature-length motion picture. Congratulations! Someone is sabotaging Spacely Sprockets. (laughs) We've lost four, Vice presidents, And there's only one man for the job. Jetson? I wouldn't use Jetson if Spacely Sprockets were going bankrupt. He is expendable. Perfect! (gasps) Oh, no! Space! The final frontier! Jetsons, the movie... Blue. Featuring music performed by Tiffany. Made be in love. At the, the first movie from the family that's truly ahead of its time. Universal We're Pictures presents a Hanna-Barbera production: Jetsons the Movie. I never actually saw Jetsons the Movie, although I was probably in the prime demographic to have enjoyed it. I was a casual fan of the cartoon, I guess, but not enough so to want to invest an hour and 22 minutes of my summer into seeing this movie. I also missed the other new release in theaters this week, at least until years later. But I've more than made up for lost time over the course of the three decades since. Here's the trailer. Emergencies, we are in a code yellow. Instrument landing system is down. Backup systems won't come up. Every system's dead. These guys shut us down. Attention all controllers. We have a code red alert. We just bought maybe two hours. After that, those planes low on fuel aren't going to be circled. They're going to be dropping on the White House long. I want every officer recalled and assembled in body armor with full weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes. It's time to kick it. Alan's what team's gone? More creative than you think. Start looking for a new miracle. Who the hell is this? We don't need a loose cannon on this deck. You get the hell out of my office before I throw you out of my damn airport. You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. <sighs> Story <of> my life. <laughs> They say lightning doesn't strike twice. That's I spent Christmas last year. They were wrong. McLean, this is this what you were expecting? Nah, this is just the beginning. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. That's right. The sequel to the 1988 Bruce Willis Christmas classic, Die Hard. If you don't know, I love these movies. I don't even entirely understand why. I just love Bruce Willis, and especially as John McClane, and especially, especially at Christmas time. There are those who inexplicably fail to acknowledge the holly jolly goodness of the original Die Hard, denying the scientific evidence that it is, as a matter of simple fact, a classic example of Christmas cinema. Similar to flat-earth theorists and those who deny the deaths of Elvis or Tupac, these people are clearly nuts, or at the very least, grinchy. But 30-pop is a place for democratic debate. So with regard to the ridiculously titled Die Harder, we'll open up the floor for the next couple weeks to hear all opinions in the next installment of our newest segment, Decisions, Decisions. So once again, here's how this works. After you've clicked on the Trivia Night link and registered for our SNL trivia, visit the Decisions Decisions link in the show notes and cast your vote. Is Die Hard 2 Die Harder a Christmas movie? Just click yes or no and you're done. We're going to leave the polls open for two weeks this time around, so feel free to cast as many votes as you like. Rest assured, I will. Another way you can participate in that debate is by leaving a message on the 30 Pop Answering Machine, which, as of this week, is now much easier to do. Just click on the Answering Machine link in the show notes or at 30pop.com and record a message right there in your web browser. It couldn't be easier. I'll collect and share those messages, as always, in a bonus episode of the show. As we wrap up this segment, the results of last week's poll... Overwhelmingly, when choosing your favorite imdb.com user review for Bill Cosby's embarrassingly bad ghost dad, you all chose sarcastic eloquence over blatant disdain. 100% of the vote went to user Mae Fumato's 2002 review entitled The Holy Grail of Supernatural Comedies. So once more for good measure, here's that review. After the colossal artistic and commercial triumph of Leonard, part six, the cause decided to make his next film a more organic, quote, art house picture and proves once again that he has the cinematic Midas touch. In a premise that might seem silly in other hands, Cosby and director Sidney Poitier deftly weave a tightly knit tapestry of familial melodrama and undead hijinks. The lush cinematography lends a documentary feel to the proceedings, a much-needed dose of gritty reality which helps immeasurably when dealing with the afterlife. Cosby's bravura performance is both ferocious and demure in equal measure, but always real. Also, the underlying message of fatherly responsibility seems remarkably apt in these times of the quote, baby boy syndrome. An often overlooked masterpiece in the Cosby canon, Ghost Dad is without a doubt a labor of love from one of the cinema's greatest pioneers. Congrats, Meifu Mato. 18 short years after writing that review, you've become the very first champion of Decisions, Decisions. Friends, as always, it's been such a joy to be with you today. I do hope you'll click on all the various links mentioned in this episode links to register for our SNL-themed trivia night, to vote for whether or not you believe Die Hard 2 Die Harder to be a Christmas movie, and as always, to partner with me on Patreon, to follow 30 Pop on all the social media channels, and to subscribe to the 30 Pop Mixtape playlist on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with episode 28, doing a much deeper dive on Die Hard 2, and you're all invited back. For now, though... In the words of Judy Jetson, Thanks, Dad. You're out of galactic. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.